0: Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, PA. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. This talk continues week nine of our series, The Story. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. Much guys. It is such a, a privilege and a pleasure to be here with you. Um, Steve and I, I think, are beginning to feel like Philly's kind of our home away from home, having been here a handful of times now. And we actually got engaged here uh, the first time that we were here, or the first time I was here speaking anyway. And um, so Philly just kind of has a special place in our story. And uh, we love coming back. We got to go back to the spot last night um, where, where he proposed. And Uh, We also did, we kind of did another first for us um, while we were downtown last night. I had never seen the Rocky movies, and I know that's like sacrilegious to say that, but um, I, I... my brothers are younger than I am. I don't know. I never really watched those movies, but with Creed coming out, my husband is like, "Oh my gosh, this is gonna be awesome!" And you're just not, you're gonna not appreciate it uh, if you don't watch all of them. So we've we've been preparing. I think I'm, I'm, we've made it through Rocky three, so I have a few more to go yet before Thanksgiving. But um, I feel like I understand and can appreciate uh, Philadelphia culture in a whole new way now. Um, I, I read a billboard the other day and it said, yo, and then whatever the tagline was, is like, I get that. I know where that's from now. I get it. Uh, but we went to the Rocky Steps last night, got to take a picture in front of the statue and, um, you know, saw the guy selling t-shirts and the whole thing. You know, we were laughing. We're like, this is not actually a real person. Yet there is a line 30 people deep to take a picture with the statue. Then you go up by the art museum and there's like this legitimate war hero and like no one around. No one could care less about this guy from the War of Independence or whatever. But um, no, it, it was a blast. And um, uh, when Eric called and asked, If uh, I would be willing to come and speak again, and he told me that you guys were walking through the story this year, I was thrilled. I love getting to unpack uh, the story of people in Scripture. I know there's a lot of great stuff, a lot of the epistles are really helpful and practical, but there's just something about a story, when you know that that person is a real person, and they had struggles and issues just like me and you, and yet God did something pretty amazing in the midst of their daily life. Um, I just love looking at that, those portions of Scripture. And then he, I said, I'd, I'd like you to walk through the book of Ruth. I was like, this is awesome. Like, that's one of my favorite books. And so, ladies... For for those of you who have patiently waited and and learned, um, I'm sure, wonderful truth as you hear the epic stories of war and Gideon's mighty 300 men and Joshua conquering the promised land, um, today is for you. Uh, Today is a chick flick. And um, guys, there's plenty in there for you too, but um, I, I love the story of Ruth. I love how it plays out, and I love that God can use a chick flick to teach us something Valuable. Um, But the story today really begins with with a woman named Naomi. And as we walk through the story of her life, uh, we see that God is actually doing so much more than what she probably knew or saw or understood. And uh, just like each week, you guys have been looking at an upper story statement and um, kind of a snapshot of what God was up to. Um, in the big picture. Um, Today, we have uh, kind of a a snapshot of the upper story of what's going on, is that uh, God demonstrates his faithful love to us through his provision for us. God demonstrates his love towards us through his provision for us. And we're going to see that and how that plays out for Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, um, and then we 're going to take a look at what that means for for our life right now Well. Um, the story of Ruth really takes place uh, between, scholars believe, 1160 BC and 1110 BC. And what that means is that it was in the period of the judges. You guys, um, if you were here last week, you heard Eric talk about Gideon and how he was a judge. And and that God's people kind of went through this cycle. Uh, they would disobey. They would do what they thought was right in their own eyes. Um, that was kind of the tagline in the book of Judges. Judges, actually. It says the people did what was right in their own eyes. They defined what was good and moral, and uh, things just fell apart. It did not go well. And so uh, they God would allow oppression um, and hardship to come so that the people would be humbled and realized, We need God. We can't do this on our own. And then God's people would repent, and they would come back to him, and he would send a judge like Gideon and and several others uh, to really rescue and lead the people. And so that's kind of the backdrop of the story of Ruth and Naomi. In fact, scholars even believe that Ruth and Naomi may have lived during the time of Gideon. And um, it's in the midst of one of these uh, challenging uh, times that God was allowing Israel to walk through that we find um, the that a man named Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, uh, were living in Bethlehem, and they had two sons. And Elimelech, uh, God is allowing an extreme famine uh, to kind of oppress the people, And, and Elimelech just decides, you know, instead of getting right with God, instead of kind of rallying our neighbors and family to do the same thing, I'm done with this. And I'm packing up our family. We are moving to a different country that has a different God that doesn't operate this way. And so he takes his wife and their two sons and they go to Moab, which is about 50 miles from Bethlehem. And I tell you all of that to give you some context um, that any Jewish reader would know almost intuitively when they read the very first sentence of the book of Ruth. That, that this is not going to go well, because running from God never goes well. So if you have your books with you, or you have a device and you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in the book of Ruth this morning, and we're going to start right at the beginning. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Well, it says, but, um, excuse me, I'm sorry, my notes are a little messed up here, but, um, All right, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, this is Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab. And sure enough, just two verses after we read that, and like I said, a Jewish reader would read that and immediately know what I just explained, but... Just two verses after that, we read that Elimelech dies, and that Naomi's left as a single mom to finish raising these boys, and she does that, they get married, they marry two Moabite girls, and then both of her boys pass away. Now, this leaves Naomi in a really difficult position. I mean, not only has she just experienced this devastating loss, where her whole world Her whole identity as a mom, as a wife, her standing in society, all of that is stripped away. But she and her two daughters-in-law are really left in a precarious position now. Because it was in this culture that a woman really didn't have any rights of her own. Uh, she, she didn't really have any legal standing. They didn't own their own business. They didn't own their own, own land. They were really dependent upon a male relative, uh, a father, a son, a husband, or a brother to kind of be their advocate. And Naomi and these two women, her daughters-in-law Ruth and Orpah, are left without any of that. And so Naomi has heard that, that things are good back home now. The famine has abated, and it's, she feels like it's time for her to go home. And so she does what she feels is the most selfless thing she can do. And she frees um, her two daughter-in-laws um, from any sense of obligation that they might have. And she, she sends them home and, and wishes them well, um, prays that God would provide another husband and family for them. And Orpah, with tears in her eyes, kind of says a, a goodbye to, to Naomi and hugs her and turns around to go home. And Ruth does something that is pretty famous. In fact, her declaration of loyalty and love to Naomi is a a very famous passage from Scripture and certainly the most famous passage from this book of the Bible. And it's found in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. It says, But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. And your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. So Naomi and Ruth head back to Bethlehem, and when they get there, they're they're kind of on their own. Uh, they, they find a place to live, but they have nothing to eat. They have no way to earn a living. And this is where we begin to see that upper story played out in their lives. We see that God demonstrates his love to them by the way that he is, is providing for them, in the little ways and in the big ways. And they just happen to get back to Bethlehem just in time for barley harvest, Now, it doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but um, God had actually set up a law in Israel that um, as a landowner, you would harvest your land and do a really good job the first time around because there was no going back. If you missed a spot, if you left anything in the field, that was intended for those who had need to be able to come behind you and pick up what was left over. And so uh, they just happen... Because God hand, God's hand is at work to get back to uh, Bethlehem in time for the harvest, and so uh, Ruth gets up one morning and they have nothing to eat, and she decides, "I'm going to go out and I'm going to gather grain." And and again, one of these coincidences that is really God at work is, of all the roads that she could choose, of all the fields that she could harvest in, she finds herself in the field of a man named Boaz. Now, Boaz was a godly man with great character. He was very generous, and he had heard about Ruth. He had heard the sacrifice she made to leave her family, to leave her own homeland, everything she knew, and devote herself to following Naomi and Naomi's God. And so when he sees her in the field and he kind of asks, hey, who is that out there? And, and he goes up and talks with her and, and he tells her, hey, anything can happen. People in town know that you don't have the protection of a husband at home. So who knows what could happen to you out in the field? Um, come and harvest in my field for the rest of the, the harvest season. Come here. Uh, we'll take care of you. I'll make sure that nobody messes with you. And why don't you go ahead and, and drink from our water supply and come and have lunch with us? And why don't you work with my servant girls so you can have a community of women around you? And and on and on, God uses Boaz to provide for every need, big and small, that Ruth and Naomi have. Well, this was kind of a surprise to Ruth because she she's like... Uh, I'm, I'm a Moabite. <laughs> um, there's no real hope for a Moabite to marry a good Jewish boy back in Israel. It just doesn't happen. Um, so she had expected to be ostracized from society. She had expected to have to work really hard for just to eke out a living. And yet here is Boaz being generous. And so she begins to, to this conversation with him. And it's a conversation that I feel like is the cornerstone of every great chick flick, right? It's this awesome dialogue, and um, it's where kind of tension is introduced to the relationship, and they both admire one another, and they start talking, and, you know, tension is building. And Ruth and Boaz have this conversation face-to-face, and it's recorded in Ruth chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. It starts with this, Ruth fell at his feet and she thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. And I have heard how you left your father and your mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Well, Ruth, of course, goes home and tells Naomi everything like good girlfriends do, right? And they have this conversation and, and the kindness of Boaz does not go unnoticed by Naomi, And she begins to connect some dots, and and Naomi knew what Ruth probably didn't know, which is that Boaz was a close uh, family relative of her former husband Elimelech, which qualified him to be a family redeemer. Now, before I explain what that is, I have a disclaimer it's weird. Like, it's just weird. I, I don't know how to unweird it or make it different or explain it. It's just, let's chalk it up to it's a Jewish custom and cultural thing. And we probably won't ever fully understand or appreciate it. Um, but God was trying uh, through this custom to provide for childless widows. And so, with that as the backdrop, here we go. Uh, A family redeemer was someone who had to meet a couple of uh, qualifications. First of all, they had to be a close family relative. Second of all, they had to have the financial capability to perform their responsibilities, which I'll explain in just a minute. And finally, they had to be willing. This was, it was a commitment, um, and it was an opportunity, but it was not a requirement. And so they had to be willing to step into this role. And if they fit all of the criteria, then they were basically signing up to do a couple things. They were signing up to marry a childless widow of their family member. Oftentimes it was a brother. Uh, Their brother had passed away and left a childless widow, and they would marry her. Um, In this case, it was a little more distant family, but... Um, they would marry the childless widow. They would buy back any of the land that had belonged to her former husband to kind of keep it back in the family. And, um, and then they would father a son with that woman, and they would raise that son as if he were the son of her first husband. And that child would be groomed then to inherit the land that he, the Redeemer had bought back. And this would keep the family line going and the family name alive. And so Naomi knows all of this. I don't know that Ruth kind of understood the complexities there, but Naomi knows. All right, Boaz is an eligible bachelor. He can redeem our family. God can use him to make right all of this brokenness in our life. But weeks go by, and the harvest kind of gets down to the end, and Naomi realizes it's now or never. You know, we got to move. And so she tells Ruth, hey, get cleaned up, put on your best dress, go down to the threshing floor. And Boaz was throwing this party, kind of a, a guy's night, if you will. And, and there was feasting and drinking, and, uh, and they would then sleep outside and camp around the grain and celebrate the fact that harvest uh, was over. And so uh, Naomi sends Ruth down there with some specific instructions when you get there, don't let Bo see you. And when he goes to sleep and curls up in his sleeping bag, you wait till he's totally out, and then you go and you uncover his feet and just lay there. And when he gets cold in the middle of the night because you pulled his covers off, when he wakes up, propose. I mean, of all the crazy proposal stories that I have heard, and, and there are a lot out there that are pretty eccentric, I, I have to say, like, Naomi gets the prize for being the most innovative. Uh, that's, that's craziness. <laughs> um, but props to her for thinking of it, and, and props to Ruth for having the guts to go through with it. Because she does. You know, she goes and she follows the instructions that Naomi gave her to the T. And when Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night, freaked out that somebody's laying at the, you know, the foot of his sleeping bag, um, Ruth pops the big question, and, and Boaz is a little surprised. And maybe not for the reason you would think. He was surprised because he was an older guy, and he didn't think Ruth would want to marry the old man in town. But he says, you know what, because you've asked, absolutely, yes, I will do this. But there's there's one wrinkle in the plan. Like every good chick flick, right? Like they get right to the edge of being together and something goes wrong. And and we're all sitting on the edge of our seats, like waiting, is it going to work out? And usually at that point, my husband's like, it always works out. You know how this goes. I'm like, but it's all about how they get together, you know? So there's a wrinkle in the plan, and and the wrinkle is this, that there was another man who was more closely related to Naomi's first husband, and he had the right of first refusal. And so Boaz assures Ruth, hey, I'll take care of this, go home, and um, I'll, I'll work it out. So the next morning, he goes into town, and he finds this relative of his, and and he gathers 10 of the city elders to act as witnesses, and he asks this guy, hey, do you want to buy the land um, of Naomi's husband? And the guy's like, yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to have some more land. He goes, well, hey, it's a package deal. Um, It comes with another mother-in-law. And by the way, she's telling people in town to call her bitter." as in bitter old woman. So that's your new mother-in-law, and it comes with a Moabite wife, and you're going to have to take care of her and pay for any kids that you guys have in the future. you up for that? At which point, the guy was not so interested. He's like, hey, Bo, it's all you, man. Take it away. And Boaz says, I am willing, I am interested, I will do this, I will marry Ruth, I will buy that land, we will have a son and I will raise him as if that son was from her first husband, I'm all in. And God used Boaz to demonstrate his love for these women by providing for them. And God blesses the marriage of Ruth and Boaz, and they have a little boy named Obed. And as the credits scroll on the screen, at the end of this story, we see Naomi kind of cuddling with her baby grandson. And I love the potential and the hope that is in that scene, that this woman who had lost all of her family this woman who had lost her identity and her purpose in life now was given back this gift. I'm sure that she had given up along the way. Well, what I think Naomi and Ruth probably never really fully understood was that God was working something so much bigger, and he certainly loved them and provided for them, but he was working with an upper story in mind as well. And in Ruth 4.17, we get kind of an epilogue that I don't know that they ever got to see until they got to heaven and and got to see how God laid everything out. But in Ruth 4.17, we read that they named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Obed grows up to become the grandpa of David, as in King David, uh, the famous king who led Israel through its most prosperous season, who wrote Bible, he wrote the book of Psalms. Uh, This was a big deal. And if that isn't impressive enough, if you were to turn over to Matthew chapter 1, you would read kind of a continuation of this family legacy. And I will spare you the 11 verses of genealogy there that can sometimes read a little like a phone book but um what's buried in there are some amazing nuggets you see usually in those genealogies you just uh you just read that they're are uh, a man had a son who had a son who had a son. But there are some women's names in there. And um, they have some pretty amazing stories um, that I would encourage you to check out. Uh, They're very entertaining, definitely rated PG-13. And um, an amazing story of how God showed up and provided for generations. But it's a handful of generations after David. And like I said, you read the rest of the lineage in, in Matthew chapter 1. A handful of generations later, this same family has another baby boy, and his name is Jesus. And he is eligible to not just be a redeemer for one widow, to not just redeem one family, but to redeem the whole world. And it's at that point that this upper story and the lower story of Naomi and Ruth's life really intersects with our story. With yours and mine. And we read that God provides, again, for us. Um, He demonstrated his love for us by providing us a redeemer. And it's there that I have a few takeaways for us. As we um, are going from week to week and, and trying to figure out how to live in light of this. What's different in our life as a result of learning the truth that's found in Scripture? And there are really three takeaways that I have for us. Uh, The first is that God is at work behind the scenes, even when life is at its darkest. Because I don't know what your life looks like right now. I don't know what it is that you're dealing with at home. Maybe it's something at work that's keeping you up at night. Maybe you have a child who is running fast and furious away from God and away from you in the process. Maybe things are just not right at home, but whatever it is, know that if God was working in that darkest night of Naomi's life where she lost everything that she had, then he is certainly working in yours as well. And I love the thought that when, when life is dark, it just means that God is not done yet. That he's still working things out. And, and God doesn't change. He is constant and consistent. And just as he loved Naomi and provided for her, um, he loves you. He is crazy about you. If providing his son was the only proof of that, it would be enough. But yet, over and over and over again throughout scriptures, he tells us how much he loves us. And if he is that crazy about you, he's not going to leave you stranded when life is dark, when you were walking through hard seasons. So, my challenge for you is to simply not give up. Don't give up on God. He's not done yet, he's still working. And I hope that, that that hope and the light at the end of the tunnel keeps you holding on for just one more day, trusting that God can bring good even from that. Well, our second takeaway is that God picks the most unlikely servants. God picks the most unlikely servants. Like I said, in, in Matthew chapter 1, in that genealogy of Jesus, he, he strategically includes the names of five women, and they came with some baggage. They came, three of them were not even Jews. They worshipped foreign gods at one point, and yet God hand-chose them and grafted them into the family of his son to lay a foundation for the family that Jesus would be born into. And if he can use women like Ruth and Tamar and Bathsheba and Rahab, he can use me and he can use you. So don't disqualify yourself. It doesn't matter what your family is like. It doesn't matter what baggage you feel you bring to the table. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. God has a significant role for you to play in this upper story that he is writing. Don't disqualify yourself. How would you live differently if you really believed that? If you really believed that God had a significant role for you to play, what might you do different? You know, that's kind of a big question. It's one of those that you, like, sit and think about and don't always come up with, like, a really easy answer right off the cuff. But when I look at Ruth's life, I see the way she answered that was really she just did the next right thing. You know, she knew that it probably wasn't a great idea for her mother-in-law to walk the 50 miles back to Bethlehem and then try and survive all alone. And so she said, No, I'm coming with you. That's it. Don't don't argue with me anymore. I'm coming with you. And then she woke up one morning and they didn't have food, and she said, I'm just gonna go harvest some food. And And she just did the thing that was in front of her, and by doing that, God used her to play a pretty significant role in the making of the family of Jesus. What is it that you guys can do just right in front of you? Do you have a a family member or a friend that's kind of walking through a hard time? Can you just show up for them like Ruth did for Naomi? Can you send an intentional text message to someone on a bad day, could you bless them with a little gift? I was joking. Like I, I love Starbucks. And I was having a horrible day the other day. And my mom just kind of showed up at my house. And she had gotten me a venti. And I was like, oh, I love you. Thank you so much. You know, are there just little things that you can do to bless somebody? To do the next right thing that's right in front of you? Well, the last... Takeaway for us is what I feel is really the the biggest and most important of the whole book of Ruth And that is that God provided the ultimate redeemer in Jesus All we have to do is ask You know just like Ruth or I'm sorry just like Boaz didn't presume that Ruth wanted to marry the old man in town He kind of waited for her to ask Jesus is the same way You know, Revelation paints this picture of Jesus standing outside the door of our lives, knocking. And he longs to be invited into the mess and the guts of our life to make something beautiful of it, but he won't barge in. He doesn't assume that we want him in the middle of our mess. Instead, he waits for an invitation. You know, many in this room, I'm sure, have made that decision to invite him into our life. And uh, you would attest with me, I'm sure, that God, while we're not perfect, while our story isn't perfect, God is beginning to make good of things in our life that, that we had made a mess of through our own poor choices. But there might be someone here today who has never made that decision, who has never asked Jesus to be the redeemer of their life and of their poor choices, And I just want to give you an opportunity to do that today. It's really simple. It just involves acknowledging and believing a couple of things. That first and foremost, we can't fix our mess ourselves. That Jesus alone is eligible. Jesus alone meets the list of qualifications to redeem us. And so no amount of trying harder, no amount of being good or paying penance is going to make up for the mistakes we've made. Jesus alone is eligible. And then it simply involves inviting him into our life and surrendering our mess to him. And if you were willing to make that decision today in just a few moments, I'm going to wrap up in prayer and we'll conclude our time together. But I just encourage you guys to have a conversation right there in the quietness of your own heart to just be honest with God. That's all that prayer is, is just talking with Him and let Him know where you are. Lay it out. He sees it, but if you just tell Him, and ask him to come in, I guarantee you, he, in that moment, he will begin to bring healing and restoration to some the things in your life that are broken. He will fill the space where things are missing. Many of us, like I said, have already made that decision. And for you, if you are anything like me, I all too often think, oh yes, God is the redeemer of my life. But certainly he doesn't care about this little situation. He doesn't care about this challenge I'm facing at work or this relational funk that I'm in with my friends or, or what have you. It's, we forget that God doesn't want to just be the redeemer of our lives. He wants to redeem situations throughout our life every day. And so are there areas of your life that you need to surrender to him that you need to ask and invite him into the midst of that mess so that he might make something good of it. Well, God demonstrates his love to us through his provision for us. And God has provided the ultimate and great redeemer in Jesus and he longs to work all things in our life together for those of us who love him. And I would challenge you guys that if there is any area of your life, whether big or small, invite him into it. Ask him to enter in and to make, make all of that work out for good because he is longing to do that. I love that... Our Father provides for us in such an amazing way, and I pray that that is an encouragement to you guys as you go out today and enter back into the real world. Uh, May you look for opportunities to do the next right thing, and may you look for corners of your life that you can more fully surrender to our great Redeemer. Would you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you so much uh, for your provision. Lord, whether it's something small and simple, Um, to something as big as um, where we might spend our eternity. Lord, you have thought of everything. You know all that we need and you long to provide for us and to step into those corners of our lives where there is hardship and struggle. Father, I just ask that if there is anyone here today who has yet to surrender their lives to you, I pray that they might have the courage to do that the courage to have an honest conversation with you in this space. And Lord, I just thank you that you are faithful and that you will enter their lives and you will work in an amazing way. Father, I'd love to see your stories of redemption in the lives of friends and family, to see you take brokenness and make something beautiful from it. Father, I thank you that you do that in our lives every day as long as we surrender them to you. Father, may we do that more faithfully this week. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at nine fifteen or 11 a.m.